0: And then there was one. Josh Owens drops out of the governor's race. In Iowa, if you build an app, the results won't come. Plus, Senate Republicans got protections for pregnant workers and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending February 7th, 2020.
1: Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations and by Ice Miller. Ice Miller is a full-service law firm committed to helping clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.
0: Democrats won't have a competitive primary for governor this year after tech entrepreneur Josh Owens dropped out this week, leaving former state health commissioner Woody Myers as the only Democratic candidate challenging incumbent Eric Holcomb. Friday is the deadline for gubernatorial candidates to submit 4,500 signatures to qualify for the ballot. Josh Owens' campaign says he has enough but he's dropping out to avoid a divisive primary and endorsing Woody Myers. In a statement, Owens says Myers has the, quote, experience, the background, and the vision for success Indiana deserves. Myers says in a statement he's humbled and honored by Owens' decision to drop out. The healthcare executive says the focus is now on bringing new leadership to the governor's office. Incumbent Republican Eric Holcomb finished 2019 with more than $7 million in his campaign war chest, Myers ended the year with about $1,900 in the bank. Will this help Democrats? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel: Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Jennifer Hollowell, John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly, statehouse reporter for the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting statehouse reporter Brandon Smith. Jennifer Hollowell, will, will coalescing early around one candidate help Democrats?
2: <laughs> I don't think so. Uh- no, it, it, it probably doesn't matter either way. Uh, none of the Democrat candidates have been strong. I think, um, I think Myers is probably the only one who had the signatures to get on the ballot, but their fundraising has been um, bad. And I think it's a result of the popularity that Governor Holcomb has. I mean, he is very well liked. He has a strong record going into reelection. Uh, state unemployment is at a 19-year low lower than the national average, lower than all of our neighboring states. I mean, there's a, there's a record of success. Hoosiers are happy, and so I, I think it doesn't matter whether Democrats have a primary or not, but I'm sure they'll say
3: that it helps. Yeah. Of course, you always want to avoid a primary, and you know, it's, uh, it's true that... Unless you a primary,
2: and then it's a good thing. No, that's
3: what you have to say, yeah, have to but say it is always better to avoid a primary, and, and it's true that Governor Holcomb hasn't irritated everybody the way his predecessor did, because he hasn't done anything. So, so there is that. He is not well-known across the country, uh, across the state even. And I, I think, obviously, the fundraising has been anemic, and it needs to pick up dramatically. And I frankly think that it's going to need uh, uh, Woody Myers to put some of his own resources in it to jumpstart it, not to fully fund the campaign, but to jumpstart it. And I think that would make a big difference. It will also make a big difference without a primary contest because people will feel free now to give. So it's going to be interesting. There's no question there's an advantage to the incumbency. There always is. Uh, And obviously, uh, Eric Holcomb has been able to hit everybody who does business with the state to raise money. So he has a big advantage that way. But that doesn't mean it's a foregone conclusion, especially when he hasn't done anything.
0: We talked to Woody Myers this morning, and we the the question of him putting his own money in did come up because he's already put some in. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't sound like that's where he wants to go going forward that much. You don't yeah, want
4: to I say think he's fine with <laughs> seeding some, and, yeah. and and he does. There's a loan right now that you know the campaign owes him, but I don't think we're going to see what he did in the past. Congressional race where he basically just fully funded it himself, and I think he is hoping that now that it's down to one candidate, some of those donors will free up a bit. I think one thing that might work against him is if this Democratic presidential campaign is still going on and people are kind of beating the bushes in Indiana too, if we're going to matter in that race, then that might hurt him a little.
0: Is, is fundraising job one for Woody Myers now that he's the only Democratic candidate and he doesn't have a primary to worry about?
5: I think so. When you're looking at the numbers that you alluded to in the, uh, the open of this segment, where you're talking about $7.25 million on hand as of the last reporting period versus $1,900, I'd say that that makes it a pretty uh, important uh, number one priority with underlined with red ink and with asterisks next to it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yes, he has some personal uh, wherewithal, but again, I doubt he's going to want to put that kind of money uh, into into this funded, race. That's no, different from I would just it. I would just say keep in mind the historical perspective here. Indiana Hoosiers have never ever fired an incumbent <coughs> governor who was elected in his own right
3: yeah. until uh, we got to Mike Pence. Well, who well had he didn't it. lose. He got a good He, on he the, got the ballot. And
5: every poll I've seen says <laughs> that people are at least satisfied with the economy. They they credit. Uh, the governor, and actually, Ann says it as a criticism about not being well known. the The best thing he has going for him is he's not hated. He has and, and <laughs> seriously, that's what me. you call damning with faint praise? Well, hey, he's not
3: hated. Wow, well, the, that's the, a basis the, the person for you alluded to who
5: might have lost, been the first
0: governor to lose.
5: Well, did make, because, it, did because have of been.
3: all the terrible things he did.
0: Well, <laughs> time now. For viewer feedback, each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, the first time we'll be asking this particular one this year, who will win the 2020 Indiana governor's race? Eric Holcomb, Woody Myers, or a Libertarian candidate? Last week's question, what effect will Senator Mike Braun's outspoken defense of President Trump during his impeachment trial have? 24% of you say it'll help Braun. 44% say it'll hurt him about a third of you say it really won't make much impact. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org IWIR and look for the poll. Well, it's hard to imagine how this week's Iowa caucus, the first presidential contest of the 2020 cycle, could have gone worse for the Democratic Party organization as days have gone by without really knowing who won. The caucus was beset by problems almost from the start, linked primarily to a new app, meant to help make reporting the results easier. Iowa Democratic Party leaders said though the app was recording data accurately, quote, it was reporting out only partial data because of a coding issue in the reporting system. Results came out in bits and pieces, a batch of around 62% of them released first, on Tuesday. One consistency through the results Former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders are leading the pack, both in raw vote totals and in state delegate equivalents. So, Andalani, despite the fact that we we can't be certain exactly who won uh, because of the still ongoing problems with the data, we do know, we we can confidently say that Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg are at the top. That's right. Is that a surprise?
3: Oh, I think so. I think that's great news for Pete Buttigieg. Um, And it really doesn't fundamentally matter whether he came in first or a slight second. He did remarkably better than anybody anticipated him to do and he has shown that he's a viable candidate. He's been out there a year ago this time nobody gave him a snowball's chance of making it. And here he is leading there. If he can replicate that showing in uh, New Hampshire, he's a force to contend with. And you know, I uh, while well, I sympathize with the Iowa State chairman for that debacle they had, it does point out that perhaps there Their standing as the number one or the first state in the union maybe maybe needs to be reevaluated. Yeah, I want to
0: get back to that in a second. But are you surprised that it's Bernie and Pete at the top after Iowa? Uh,
2: I'm not really surprised because I think the polling was indicating that Bernie, at least, uh, and the polling Bernie was looking like he was surging. He was clearly surging. And and Buttigieg was second or third, third depending on uh, depending on how you look at it. So I don't think that that is surprising. It's not good for Buttigieg that this happened the way it did because he doesn't get the full kind of bump that he would have gotten if he had won and had won on that night. And now we will never probably know who won because based, on the, like based on the reports today, there are dozens of precincts that they say there are errors or inconsistencies. There are precinct captains who are saying, those aren't the accurate numbers from my, pe- from my precinct. Um, so I don't think we'll ever know. I, I do also think that this caucus idea is bananas, and it's time
3: to move past it. Well, you guys have some caucuses, too. Maybe we should can them all. Okay. Well,
0: that, that okay, it's okay a, I me. think that's a conversation <laughs> we're now having. Um, are you surprised? I mean, I'm not sure of the current Democratic field you could find two campaigns with more disparate ideologies than Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. So does it make a lot of sense that those are the two leading candidates No, but candidates that's, that shows Iowa? you that
5: pundits don't really have a good handle on things because all along people have been saying, well, you have, you know, in this track and in the, in the, the more progressive wing of the party, you have slotted number one, and then if that person stumbles, you have the back up here and then the middle of the road, and the, all of that goes out the window. Because if you looked at where people went in terms of their first choices at the caucuses, and say there were candidates who were not viable, they didn't get the 15% threshold, and they had to move to somebody else, all of that notion that the logic of where they should go went out the window. I think uh, this is a test, more than anything, of grassroots organizing. and uh, Because whereas primaries, it's a lot more about television advertising and the air game, this is so much about the ground game. And that's why I think I had sort of dismissed it, but if we go back and look at Things we talked about maybe two months ago, where more field offices, uh, more organizational heft on the part of judge uh, than any other candidate, yeah. uh, and then we thought, well, some, you know, then we more recently heard about the surge with the excitement about around the um, Sanders campaign and some of the others. So we should have stuck with the one that the, the, the one we uh, that got us that far, which is the organizational yeah. heft you will know, always work yeah. well in the caucuses.
0: Uh, is this the, the, a conversation, is certainly on the Democratic side, about no longer going first in Iowa because of sort of the demographic ba- background of the state not mirroring really the country in any sort of way it was already happening before the caucus results started uh, coming in or not coming in, as the case was. Um, is this the final nail in Iowa's coffin?
4: I don't know if it's so much whether they're first or not. Is just it's such an awkward way they do the voting yeah. and the sitting and that you sort of get shamed into moving over to here to to be behind someone. While, while we certainly don't know exactly who won the delegates, I think we do know the big loser who was obviously Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. And it was shocking basically to see yeah. him drop right. that far. If he, if
0: he has another similar showing in New Hampshire, even, even with the expectation that South Carolina is going to be big for him because of the his historic strength in the black community and how strong that is in South Carolina, it might not matter at that point.
3: It's been a while since New, New Hampshire replicated the first thing in, right. uh, in Iowa. That's true and too. you've got to remember that both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are from neighboring states, which does make a difference. And at some point, yeah. we could have three
4: different winners we in could. the Absolutely, first
0: we
3: could. three caucuses. We could. Yeah. We could. But, well, but then Super th- Tuesday comes, and that'll all be well, then sorted out. it gets out. really fun.
0: Well, Senate Republicans gutted the bill this week that would have required employers to reasonably accommodate Pregnant employees' needs, legislation that's a priority of Governor Eric Holcomb's. The bill would have required businesses with at least 15 workers to provide longer or more frequent breaks for pregnant women, for example, or to provide seating or temporarily restructure a pregnant woman's job to modify their work schedules or provide a lactation room. But Republican Senator Victoria Sparts doesn't like that level of specificity in law.
2: When we cre- create this one-size-fits-all approach, who is going to be hurt is the small businesses.
0: 34 Republicans voted to strip out those provisions and instead ask for a study committee on the topic. Democratic Senator Jean Brough accuses Republicans of waging war on pregnant women.
4: Could that be why Indiana's infant mortality rate is so high? Could that be why Indiana's maternal mortality rate
3: is one of the highest in the nation? This is a common-sense bill.
0: The House could restore those provisions. Nikki Kelly, this is a priority of Governor Holcomb's. How much does that affect its potential future? Because it's still alive, technically.
4: I mean, I think the governor has to sort of put his capital in only a few places. You know, they're moving forward with the distracted driving bill. They are doing what he wants on vaping and tobacco and it appears that for Republicans at least you know accommodations for women are just you know a bridge too far for them so <laughs> and and I actually did hear some Republicans on the floor sort of whispering off to the side about how well, a woman doesn't have to prove she's pregnant and things like that. Those are the discussions that were going on. Did she swallowed a balloon? Is that what they, <laughs> they're thinking she's going to do to get accommodated? Maybe. So, mm. and I mean, it was a fascinating discussion, mostly because all the Republican co authors on the bill, none of them spoke mm. against that amendment to cut it. None of them. Including yeah. the
5: primary uh, yeah. author of the bill, who, uh, who went
0: out in the hallway and was and happy to, to complain about it to. To a reporter, but didn 't get up on the floor in front of everybody and say it was this a bad let 's just put it on was this a bad look for republicans
5: uh, well it 's what it 's good for, I guess if you want to get down to the politics is the Indiana Manufacturers Association, which had been probably the most active uh, behind the scenes and actually not just behind the scenes, sort of out front on this with saying you know it 's not necessarily the concept that 's bad it 's the execution here. And the notion that there are so many provisions in the bill that talk about reasonable provisions or the time uh, that one should have after you know uh, prior to delivery or or post uh, delivery is reasonable and obviously there 's some concern about uh, the litigiousness that might the, the litigation that might stem from. A confusion uh, over that. So let me I, ask I, about this. This is so, going to probably
0: get studied this summer. That'll be the compromise at the very least. So that's let me ask. Yeah, yeah, let, let me, yeah, let me ask about that, which is we heard this this both in committee and on the floor the idea, well, this will lead to more lawsuits. What does reasonable mean? A lot of this already exists in case law and in, in both here and in other states. So what we're doing is trying to put some of that in code so there's more of a guarantee. So do these, so a lot of the criticisms that were made of this bill kind of hold up to scrutiny?
2: Uh, I think I think there's also a federal parameters. So there are. So
0: it's a patchwork kind of system that we were yeah, trying to.
2: Twenty-seven clear out. other states have already figured this out. Uh, I don't know the details of what those laws look like, but certainly we should dig into it quickly, and I think get this bill fixed. We have time now. We have a few more weeks um, as it switches houses that we can work on it. Uh, and look at guidance, let's fine-tune some of these points if there are concerns. My understanding was one of the concerns was that it went to businesses that have 15 or more people versus 50, which I think may be what other states uh, or other folks may use. But let's figure this out. I mean, I I think it's reasonable that – reasonable – No, that we can and we should. Let me ask about
0: something specific she just said, though, Mm -hmm. because this is a big point of contention in this bill, is the size of the business, Mm -hmm. that they worry about, you know, obviously if you're a huge manufacturer, um, accommodating your employees shouldn't be that difficult. But if you're a small business owner, it does get
3: tougher. The federal disability statute starts at fifteen. Okay, so they're already making accommodations. The problem is that the federal statute does not recognize pregnancy as a disability. Right. You have to have a specific disability while in pregnancy in order for it to qualify. So they're already dealing with disabilities at 15. So this is not a big burden at all on people. And it's reasonable accommodation, which as we already pointed out, has been litigated everywhere. This is supposed to be a priority of the governor's administration. He needs to fix it and get it passed. We're going to be the 28th state, okay? We're not leading the pack. We're not leading the charge on this, okay? This is a reasonable, very mild common sense. And if you're concerned about, uh, about uh, maternal... Uh, mortality, which we ought to be because we're above the national average, or even infant mortality because we're above the national we're average. Not just
5: above. We're number six or seven well, in terms there you of the, go. Ba- on the bad list. And, so, the bad side, and, and, and yet when, when
3: a common-sense kind of thing like this is proposed, they gut it. It's, it does say a lot about the Republicans' attitude toward women.
5: I think 15 is also, is it's not, the cutoff for family leave, for instance, under federal It's not just statutes. picked out of thin air. I should just point out for people interested in this topic, Indiana lawmakers available on many of these same public broadcasting stations. We looked at this issue
0: in detail. There's a fine involved. I know there's
3: a
5: fine. (laughs) All
0: right, Republican U.S. senators this week voted to acquit President Trump on two articles of impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress.
5: Mr. Braun. Mr. Braun, not guilty. Mr. Young. Mr. Young, not guilty.
0: The votes to acquit, long a foregone conclusion, were mostly along party lines. No Democrats broke ranks, all voting against the president, but Utah Republican Mitt Romney became the first senator to vote to convict a president of their own party.
1: Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine.
0: The Senate would have needed 20 Republicans to vote to convict for Trump to be removed. So, John Schwannis, the impeachment process is now over. What, if anything, has it accomplished?
5: Well, I didn't think it was possible for the country to be more polarized uh, than before this uh, began, the trial began. But clearly, it did drive uh, the two sides to their corners uh, as far as imaginable. I think it also increased uh, frustration on both sides, cynicism, the sense of an erosion of of the rule of law and the importance of our institutions. And I say increased frustration on both sides because you had the supporters of the president who thought that this was all a witch hunt. It's bad people trying to out to get him. So they're, of course, agitated and frustrated. And then you have people who say this is what had to be done because of the actions that the president had taken vis-a-vis. the ukraine and, and uh, uh, with, and, uh, with, with uh, holding of, of funds and foreign assistance for that nation uh, that said uh, this has to be done we can 't you know just pretend it didn 't happen, and yet the frustration of knowing that the outcome is already a done deal, so I think it's, it created more cynicism, more frustration with the system, more distrust of the institution if that 's possible, more polarization if that 's possible so not really, much good came out of it, I suppose.
0: So accomplished things, but none. none of Not good. Did it matter, ultimately?
4: No. no. I, I think almost Trump will probably see it as some sort of badge of, you know, that you know he's getting to them or something, and that they're coming after him. So I don't think it matters in any manner. And I, and I and honestly, I hope we can now move forward because it's clear that the only way that if people feel that he is not a good president, then
3: they need to take that to the ballot box.
0: Does it matter to you at all that a Republican did vote to convict?
3: I thought, I thought Romney was very eloquent. I thought what he said was absolutely right. And I think the Republicans ought to change their mascot from the elephant to the ostrich. Because when you hear Susan Collins say things like, he's going to be chastened, he's not going to do this again, no, 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 no. He's going to see, okay, nothing's stopping me now. I could probably murder somebody in broad daylight and still be acquitted. They got his back. said that before. (laughs) They got his back. And that's, that's the point. And that's what's so unfortunate about this, because the conduct in which he engaged is a high crime and misdemeanor. And he should have been impeached. And every single one of those Republicans that voted for him knew it. And they didn't care. They wanted to put their political survival above the good of this country. And that's, that's a really, really bad message to send.
0: We always knew this was how this was going to end, obviously. Right. Um, but I'll ask you the same question I asked her, which is, does it matter that there was a Republican vote against the president on this one?
2: I don't think it matters. I mean, it may matter to some people, but uh, I don't think it has any real impact except the impact that it will have on Senator Romney, which he acknowledges. Is yeah.
5: You know, the impact that will come in 20, 30 years, this, he'll forever be in the history books right. as one of oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the that's people. It sure. yeah. and and may matter about much now, but it will forever be He's not going to
3: run again anyway, so they can't do anything to him. And he wants to become a Democrat, we'll be happy uh, to have I'm him. I'm sure
2: you would. You all hated him before. Well,
3: you know what? All relative, right? With his life, there's hope. And for him, there's hope. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, on a very, very different subject, Hoosier Casinos can now offer bets on the Academy Awards, which are this weekend, after getting approval from the State Gaming Commission, something that was made possible in last year's sports wagering law. The sports gaming bill also allowed bets on, quote, other events, and Gaming Commission rules say those events must have a verifiable outcome that can't be influenced by wagers and that is generated through an independent, reliable process. Those definitions could apply to wagering on election results. House Public Policy Committee Chair Ben Smaltz doesn't see a problem with that. I think it's up to a willing better and a willing taker. If they want to bet on something, I think it's very risky. I'm not sure it's very prudent, but that's not my choice. Speaker Brian Bosma does have a problem with betting on elections. I certainly hope no one goes in the direction of uh, elections. Uh, We're more concerned about people voting than placing a bet on the vote. So it's not absurd to think that you could bet on an election under the way the statute is constructed. So should Hoosiers be allowed to bet on elections?
3: I, I think this is ridiculous. I really do. I think we've taken gambling way, way, way too far in this state. And I'm glad to hear that Brian Bosma say that he's interested in getting people to vote, which is interesting because they put so many obstacles in the way of getting to vote, it's easier to bet than it is to vote.
0: I did feel like that was coming when that's was. Well it happens to, us. to be true. Um I was a little surprised by this. You know, we talked. I talked to Smaltz. He kind of shrugged it off. Bosma was just like, ah, eh, maybe not on elections. And then we talked to S- State Senator Broad Bray, the head of the Senate, who was very fired up about this. He really wants to rein this in. Is that something that should happen?
2: I think so. I don't think betting on elections is probably a good idea. Just in terms of all the influence that goes in, we already have all kinds of, you know, conspiracy theories and controversy around elections and we do want people to vote and they actually have the opportunity to vote for thirty days up until the election uh, it's very simple. All you need is an ID, which you use well, for an everything ID, you, do? you do. You Can't always get
3: it, and on and on you could and on. Say we've
2: been can't get it with because the they give them away for free. decades. If you this can get there, they won't, they won't come out. If you're a they won't come out of get an ID. You haven't right. proven a single person. Finally, well, I have, actually, finally, finally,
0: finally, I mentioned, of course, that the Academy Awards are this weekend. Ojai native is up for one of the so-called Big Five awards. Mishawaka's own Adam Driver is nominated for Best Actor for his film *Marriage Story*. So Jennifer Hollowell, since you're now able to put money on the Oscars in this state. Which film gets your bet for best picture?
2: I'm going with 1917, which I saw
3: and thought was awesome, but I have not seen Little Women, so I may love it. I haven't seen any of them, so I'm going with Honeyland, which is now in in the documentary category and looks to me to be an exceptional film.
4: I think 1917 will win, but I encourage everyone to go see Ford versus Ferrari. That
5: was fun. Totally, Ann doesn't have her finger on the pop culture pulse the way I do, because I've seen one movie on the list, <laughs> and that would be The Irishman, so I might as well go with the one I've seen. Okay. Right.
0: I saw 1917, loved it, particularly in theaters, but I think, I hope, Parasite wins. I saw that one, well, loved Parasite. I
3: recommend Spy in Disguise. Spies
0: in Disguise, it, not up All of year, the kids like it. It People was really rough. All right, well, that's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Jennifer Hollowell, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity and on the WFYI app. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week.
1: Indiana Weekly in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations and by Ice Miller. Ice Miller is a full service law firm committed to helping clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. The opinions expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Weekly in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations.